0: Welcome to the Women's Playbook. This is a show by and for women business owners and women change agents, actually any change agent. Um, My mission on the show, in addition to uh, being here for women entrepreneurs, is also to offer advice and support for everyone working in the current marketplace who wants to do business in the rising she economy. And that means the increasing influence women are having on worldwide markets as consumers and entrepreneurs. So the Women's Playbook is a platform for timely advice for 21st century business. I'm your host, Joanna Croats. Today, the show is all about the innovations that are surfacing as more and more women meet at the intersection of business and science, and women are importing those new skills and attitudes into the market. Traditionally, of course, women start businesses to solve problems that they encounter, When you add women's relatively new math, science, and IT expertise, as well as the lower barriers to business entry that now exist, you find women rethinking the concept and manufacture of familiar products and prototypes to build more lucrative companies that address new and niche markets. So there's an old, you know, maybe apocryphal story that proves this point. Jill Kerr Conway, who was then president of Smith College, was invited to join the board of Nike some two decades ago. And among all these super-athletic MBA guys, there's Conway, sitting around the big boardroom table. And she innocently asked if the company made any of their products for women. Hmm. Dead silence. I'd just like to remind everyone that Nike was the Greek goddess for victory, so the company was totally named after a girl. The rest, of course, is marketing history. Nike did start offering fitness gear for girls and women, and here we are today at a multi-billion-dollar industry. So it may take a village to raise a kid, but it sometimes takes one lone woman who has a real seat at the table to change the equation. Assuming, of course, it's the right woman at the right time asking the right questions. And it's exactly those kind of women and also a male co-founder who are asking the right questions in the right places as my guests today. Tina Israni is a technology expert in user experience, also known as UX and user interface, UI or visual design. She, along with her brother, Sonny, who's here, launched Zorab, Z-O-R-A-A-B, for boy, dot com, with her brother, about a year ago. And it's an e-commerce play for men. Tina's going to have to tell us where the name came from. An online retailer of men's accessories, Zorab, is using a subscription service as its business model. And by the end of this year, 2014, Tina says Zorab will offer, for the first time anywhere, quote, an algorithmic styling platform. Also something she's going to have to tell me about. I'm thinking maybe that's that souped-up tech version of the smart sales guy at the men's store who runs around matching your tie and your socks and your shirts, and we'll see. Tina and her brother also are launching something called Mint Socks, designer street art art socks for guys. My other guest today calling in from the Midwest is Supriya Hobbs, who is the co-founder of a startup called Miss Possible. She and her partner plan to manufacture dolls that represent real women in science, along with mobile apps for girls aged six to ten to accompany the doll role models. And Supriya just graduated from the uni- University of Illinois at Urbana with a chemical engineering grad as a chemical engineering grad. She and co founder Jana Eaves also just launched an Indiegogo crowdfunding campaign, everyone take note, to fund their prototype and um, be able to produce the first doll and mobile app, which will be based on Marie Curie. So welcome, Supriya. Welcome, Tina.
1: Hi.
0: Thank <laughs> you so much for having us. And welcome, Sunny.
2: Hi. How are <laughs>
0: <laughs> Let's start with Tina. Tell us about Zorab and why you decided to focus on men's accessories.
1: So my background started out in financial services when financial services was good. Um, and we from there... Um, After being five years in financial services, I I, I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And my brother had kind of um, started a few companies. I started a few companies, failed. And eventually just sort of, we were like, let's just sell some socks online and see how this goes. And we sort of we came up with the idea in November, 2011 launched April, 2012. And we actually started with women's and it was really interesting. Women's socks, women's and men's, Uh um, women's hosiery, you know, knee highs. And so we sort of, it was really interesting because we had women come to the site. The traffic was split 50-50, um, but the, they were converting on the men's socks. They were purchasing for the, men's in their, the men in their lives. So we pivoted the company to kind of focus on men. We were kind of following the users, following what the market need was. And we actually added on accessories uh, just recently, about three months ago. Um, the subscription model, we added on pretty quickly after we pivoted to men's. Um, What does that mean exactly? So you become a member of your, so we do a combination of retail where we retail well-known brands of socks and we, the subscription model is think of a sock of the month club. Um, we kind of just threw it on there as an experiment. Um, and it actually is doing really well. turns out men really enjoy just having their socks show up every month. Um, and, you know, women like gifting it to them. It's an easy gift. They know they'll use it. Um, so needless to say, the holidays are a pretty, a pretty busy time for us. And what is the name about? So I do you want to, Sunny?
2: Yeah, so um, <laughs> <laughs> we sat down with our parents. You know, our parents are very involved. Our parents are very involved in our business. It's, it's a, kind of like more of like a family style business. And we sat down trying to think about like what kind of names. And my mom just said, why don't you just do Zorab? which essentially means socks in um, our dialect of Hindi, which is called Sindhi. And that's how the name came about.
1: And what was interesting is, as I kind of you know met different people and told them our name, they were like, "Oh, that actually means socks in Farsi. That means socks <laughs> in Punjabi." So it's, it was a whole different, this is like cross cultural. Yeah, it was like it was almost like that region re- referred to socks with the very similar Or socks. Yeah, <laughs> and, and the funny thing is, we were sort of inspired by Zappos in a way. We wanted to kind of maintain that customer service and things like that. And and Zapatos is a play off. I mean, Zappos is a play off Zapatos. So we kind of we're a little inspired by, by ZSpark. Z-Spark. Yeah.
0: Um, speaking of Sparks, Priya, what was the spark for Miss Possible when you, I know you're still in uh, prototype and launch mode, but you've been working on this for quite a while, yeah?
3: Yeah, so uh, I think where the idea really came from was from personal experience. My co-founder and I are both women studying engineering, as you mentioned, so we looked around our courses and said, you know, there aren't that many people that look like us in here. And that's not just true of our classrooms, that's true of engineering classrooms across the country and you know, even in, in conference rooms for engineers across the country. So we saw that as a problem, we saw that imbalance. And so we started thinking and we started talking to our peers about what motivated us to study engineering. And it turns out uh, a lot of people had a strong role model that influenced that decision. And this desire to change the world also seemed to be a common trend. So you know, once we started thinking about this from the business mindset, uh, we realized that we wanted to reach kids early and wanted to make it something that was really engaging. And so this is sort of where we came up with the idea of using toys. We thought the dolls would be a great way to introduce a role model, and then the apps would give some of that hands-on skill building and, and help kids gain confidence in these fields that they might not otherwise themselves capable of.
0: And how hard is it to create the prototype? I know you have that. That's a challenge, certainly.
3: Certainly, yeah. So we had to recruit people to our team. Uh, you know, at least I think most companies are have so many different moving parts that it's hard to do with just one or two people. So we ended up recruiting designers, and, and that was, I guess, one challenging part. You know, how do you convince people that this is worth doing, especially when nobody's getting paid? You know. Um, and I think there are a lot of heads nodding is, around. Yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so you, you totally relate. But
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, you know, also we've ended up having to work with manufacturers overseas to, to get that process moving you know, because there is no vinyl doll manufacturing left in the States. So, um, you know, working with people that work the exact opposite hours that we do and, um, you are just so far away it's been a, a big learning experience for us, and you know certainly a positive experience, but I think it's been very challenging
0: well the, you both are have um, obviously Zorab is further along and you're revenue positive right yeah yeah so um you're still trying to manufacture the prototype but this this idea of launching and getting the technology kind of in place is Thorny, to say the least. We had a show last week about that. Is that? Can you speak to that? Tina? Yeah, we. I mean, we. So we actually went through
1: the process for mint. So you know, part of
0: and explain again what y- mint? Yeah, is. Yeah. So we,
1: the part of the inspiration for mint socks was um, mainly um, to just kind of keep more of the revenue. Um, For e-commerce companies, it makes sense once you start manufacturing your own brand, you're able to keep more of the money. So uh, we launched Mint Socks last year. We went through the whole process of A, sourcing a manufacturer, um, B, sourcing a manufacturer you trust. Um, And we finally uh, came across someone who ended up being part of our extended family,
0: who's been doing this for years. Uh, and so, just to be clear, the difference between Zorab and Mint is that Mint is 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 designs you are creating and producing. Yes, and Zorab is selling other people's stuff. Yeah.
1: So, so Mint we're we're manufacturing. It's an in-house design, um, and it's street art inspired um, men's socks. Um, we were trying to move into the limited edition space. Um, it actually it came about. Uh, Walt Banksy was in New York. Um, and we know that you know a lot of men are into their sneakers, same kind of concept. Maybe we can move into socks. And we, as we were sourcing manufacturers, um, it was definitely an overwhelming process. I probably started sourcing last year in February and finally found someone in May. And that's also because I was aggressively looking. Um, and then you go through the whole design and prototyping process. And we probably weren't able to... Um, finally like get our designs produced through the sampling phase um until august so we kind of got the samples in july and then in august we uh we
0: got the fight you know uh, place the order what's the timeline for you supriya um tell us a little bit about how um long it's taking um assuming you get the dough of course how long it's (laughs) taking yeah big laugh um how long it's taking until you can get that prototype and where is it you're looking abroad is is it in asia Where, where is that and so we
3: found a manufacturer in China, and I can definitely relate to Tina talking about you know, trying to find somebody that you're ready to work with, and, and it's a little difficult, but we ended up reaching out to a number of different manufacturers. And actually, I was surprised, I guess I anticipated the turnaround time would be longer than it was. So uh, right now, they're making a mold for us, um, and that should take uh, just a couple of weeks, then production of the, the final mold should be about a month. Um, cause, 'cause the first one 's an intermediate, so we can confirm that yes, this is the shape that we want uh and then you know depending on the quantity of dolls it 'll take anywhere from you know one month to three months to do the full production run, so you know I guess I went into it thinking this would take a lot longer than that, uh and i 've been pleasantly surprised by the experience,
0: yeah. We're going to take a break. We'll come right back, and then I'd like to talk about timing and funding, (laughs) the good ones. Okay, take a moment, and we'll be right back.
4: You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network.
2: Bonjour, this is Dominique de Bonjour, c'est Tamara Zubov. Bonjour, c'est Assania Kone. We are hosting Pardon My French, New York City. Our guests come from all over the world. From Mali to New Caledonia, from Paris to Quebec. French is a common language, yet they all come from different cultures, backgrounds, or countries. And their common desire is to make New York their home. Listen to them share their stories. Join us at Pardon My French, New York City, every Monday from 1 to 2 p.m.
5: That's 212-721-8183. The Conscious Consultant, helping conscious people be better business people.
4: You're listening to The Talking Alternative Network.
0: We're back. We're talking to Tina Israni, Sunny Israni, and Supriya Ho- Hobbs about um, changing really a, a product that's familiar in the marketplace, in the one case dolls and in the other case men's haberdashery, and um, and selling it in a new and different way, kind of disrupting the model. Um, just in terms of timing and funding, I, I looked into the marketplace for each of these products, and it turns out um, that, of course, men's accessories plummeted in 2008 with the recession, but by 2011, Everything was very up again, and indeed, uh, the spending on cat on accessories was driving most of men's categories, including something called wristwear. Do not call it a bracelet, <laughs> and a whole doll, and don't call that a purse or worse, a merce <laughs> <laughs> So timing is everything, and in the doll category, um, dolls in this country, according to the Toy Industry Association, are a 2.7 billion—that's B dollar—business. So Supriya certainly has a market opportunity to combine dolls with apps. I guess the question is, as I've always heard, um, you know, it's not the marketplace, it's the customer that counts. And Tina, what can you tell us about figuring out who your customer is and whether what your product is is going to meet what the customer wants?
1: So the biggest thing that I kind of wanted to weigh in on is around um, user research. So, Supriya, you clearly have, like, target market but i i guess what i wanted to know more about is um how you've tested it with your target market um um and kind of done basic research so that you know that if there's aspects of the mold if there's aspects of the doll and the apps have you actually developed the apps yet as well
3: so no we haven't started developing the app but uh we have tested a lot of the content so in the uh I guess the epitome of an MVP, minimum viable product, we've taken these activities to kids. And we've been doing this for several years, even before it was connected to Miss Possible. So we're really familiar with how kids react to these activities and and how they learn and where they get hung up.
1: That's fantastic. Yeah, because there's one big mistake that a lot of founders make, which is they just sort of launch they launch the product for themselves in a way and never do the kind of research that's necessary to make sure that the product's successful. Um, so that's great. That's great that you've actually... Learned. And you, have you actually watched them kind of play with prototypes and things like that? Because that kind of um, observation can tell a lot.
3: So we're still in the process of making our prototype, prototype but we have yeah. shown images to kids okay. and parents and gotten their input. And I think it's interesting that you talked about sort of making it in a bubble and just making the product for yourself because we had originally had this idea to do sort of an online world similar to a a Webkinz or a Neopats and we ended up abandoning that idea based on customer interviews and parents were saying, I don't want my kid just vacantly staring at a screen. And that's when we decided, you know, the kids were saying, oh, I use my parents' tablets a lot more than the computer. Mm -hmm. So that sort of led us to pivot, not just from a web application to a mobile platform, but also to integrate that hands-on component. And it happens that there aren't too many other people doing this already. So it ended up being a, a good differentiator for
1: us. It's fantastic that you started talking to the parents early on because clearly they're a stakeholder in what their children are doing.
0: Well, that, that was what just struck my screen as it were, which is I, I talked to a woman uh, earlier this week who had a business where uh, trying to launch a business that had to do with testing like uh, Kaplan, you know, for uh, getting into college. And she said it failed because they thought, one first of all, their audience was students. Then they realized that was not true. Their audience was parents. <laughs> then they realized that was not true. Their audience was universities. Their customer, I should say, not audience. And by the time that happened, you know, it went kerflooey. So I'm wondering, uh, Supriya, whether, whether you think you're, you're t- marketing to the kids or to the parents, and how do you bridge that gap?
3: You know, that's a really great question. And based on talking to parents, I think it's sort of both. So, so clearly the people that are going to pay the money are the parents and, and grandparents and our users are the kids. But after talking to parents, it turns out that the majority of them are picking purchases for their kids, picking toys for Christmas lists or birthdays off of the list that their kids are making. So I think initially when we're just starting out, when these kids haven't heard about us, we are targeting the parents who care about their kids' education and, and all of this but we're going to have to make that transition pretty soon to making it something that kids are going to ask for because that's where parents are making most of their purchases.
0: Yeah, I wish you um, all the best with that. I think it's a little bit of a balance, so it's going to be tricky. I I, I would also um, urge you to take a look at um, another guest we had on the show, whose name is Andrea Lowe, who does a, uh, a website called Piggybacker. That's Piggybacker without the E, piggybacker.com. Mm-hmm. And she had to figure out how to market to both those sides. The, the, the business is a, a social entrepreneurship that is targeting kids as well as parents to try and raise funds for things like athletic teams and um, social charitable work and, or, and community stuff. And so she figured out how to hit both of those sweet spots. So you might take a look at that, which is interesting. It's Definitely. actually a common – I would actually
1: name it a UX problem because any time that you have a product or a business or software, you, you, you t- you're typically catering to maybe three to five personas. So in your case, you kind of have the parent and you have the child. For us, we have um, what we like to call Peter – which is uh, not, a, not a very fashionable man, um, Pierre, the fashionable man, Lisa, the fiancé, and Lisa, at, you know, the, the female component is only f- almost 50% of our target market, so how do you balance between male and female for a male product? And
0: these are sort of branding questions as well. It's wonderful that you personalize them. I bet that helps, yeah. yeah. There's going to be, you know, Mrs. Smith or whatever in your case, Supriya. But tell tell us about your uh, crowdfunding um, effort and how you made that decision and how it's going. It's a big step, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, it took a lot of preparation. I don't know that I anticipated all of the work that would go into it. Um, So, you know, as
3: you mentioned earlier, we uh, launched a crowdfunding campaign on Indiegogo and we're aiming to raise $75,000 in a span of uh, 35 days and that'll be what we need to launch manufacturing for our first doll of Marie Curie. So, we've been working to really spread the word. The more people that see this, the better, you know, the more people that see it, the more are likely to contribute and we've been wowed by the response so far.
0: What kind we of what- are what kind of effort did you make to to send that out? I know, for instance, that you're part of an entrepreneurship group at the university that Laurie Patterson runs, right? And, <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's cool. So what, what, kind of, uh, what kind of influence groups have you tapped to try and get your um, crowdfunding going?
3: You touched on something really big. We have the benefit of being involved in the university, and you know, the University of Illinois has such a, a strong network and such a far-reaching network. So, you know, when the College of Engineering posted it and when the University of Illinois posted uh, our campaign a couple of days ago, we ended up with 400-plus likes, which means many more people saw it. Um, so that's definitely been positive. And then also aligning ourselves with organizations that have similar missions. So uh, Jana and I were both very involved in the Society of Women Engineers.
0: Jana and is your co-founder, right? Jana Eads yeah. yeah, that's correct. Um, So the Society of Women Engineers has helped us share this. Um,
3: There are a number of mom blogs that talk about issues like this, that talk about how women are portrayed. I think this is an issue, you know, you were talking about timing. This is something that's becoming more important, this representation of women, um, female empowerment, all of this is gaining importance and visibility in the public eye. And so I think we do have sort of a, a perfect storm here.
0: Yeah, let's not call it a storm, though. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so i know also tina you and sunny had a crowdfunding campaign which you just you described to me as kind of a marketing sort of tactic more than than the actual yeah funds. which yeah. is a, an intriguing thing to do
1: yeah it's funny so we we thought about doing kickstarter around the time that we were sampling for for mint and um we i'm so i'm closely affiliated with general assembly in um Flatiron and we actually took well, a, explain what that is So general assembly is how would I describe it? Say a tech learning annex in a way, way cooler than a learning annex, but um, you're taught, you're taught by um, industry professionals on on an array of topics from funding to, um, to Kickstarter and how, how to launch a successful campaign and only based in New York. And it's actually, no, it's, it's becoming global. So yeah, they, they have a office, they have a location in London and Berlin in uh, Melbourne, I want to say. So, um, they, they got funded recently. They got funded with 35 million recently. And so they're able to go global. Um, so I, me, me, my brother and I, we actually took a class there and and we realized that, you know, this could be a good way to sort of vet your product idea. Um, although we had already launched the product in some cases, some people actually don't even have the product. Um, we didn't, we knew that we were going to move forward anyway. Um, but also to get the word out from a marketing standpoint. Um, so we actually launched the campaign in October, and it ended in November, which was perfect because it was right around the holidays. It makes a great gift. Um, but the thing was that we didn't realize how hard it is <laughs> to put together a Kickstarter campaign. or And, and Kickstarter is especially trickier than Indiegogo in that if you don't, you either make the money or you don't.
0: Yeah, I have to point out, because I have been educated by Supriya, that you get a choice on Indiegogo. You, yeah. And she chose to, to take full funding or nothing. Oh, great. And so, Supriya, weigh in about that.
3: Um, you know, one of the things, I guess that made sense for us, because either we can place this order for our first production run or we can't. You know, a smaller sum of money really doesn't help us move forward, um, or at least not you know, make that big step. But then also I was advised that this all-or-nothing mentality helps people really band nice. together. Uh, a flexible funding model might imply that you know, this is our goal, but we don't really need all of it. Yeah. Um, and, and people don't feel as compelled to work together to reach this goal.
0: Right, so back to Tina.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it just, it it became, it was funny. It was an intro, you know, and I've been meaning to write about this, actually, because it was such a... kind of emotional head spin because you were trying <laughs> to get people to write about you. You're trying to get people to share. You know, there's so many I I learned that you could download all your LinkedIn contacts and like email them. Um and there was just so many you, you got really creative, which is what we did. Um but it becomes like a full-time thing where you're sort of running the campaign and and you're like, wait a minute, I actually have to run our existing business. Um, so, but I, it's I, it's an experience I wouldn't trade for anything. It was a good experience for us. Um, also, putting the video together was another another challenge. Did you do
0: that yourself or did you hire a professional? Well, we hired
1: a professional and um, that didn't go so well. And we then had someone sort of step in, which we, we paid her. Um, but she was sort of like, please don't launch with this video that you currently have. so how much did the video cost um
2: i don't remember it was only a couple of hundred yeah Yeah. because
1: we we actually i actually
0: met her at general assembly so Uh (laughs) so it's good to do that yeah Yeah. supriya did you i i didn't see a video did you do one and is it coming yeah we have a video it's been on our
3: campaign page since we launched
0: okay and did you do it yourself
3: Uh, so we had some help from people within our network.
0: Right. Everyone is like, oh, you're good at this.
1: (laughs) 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 It's barter skills. (laughs) Right. Yeah.
0: Um, and, and then did you make the money that you were trying to do on Kickstarter? Yeah. 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 We, we beat the goal. Um, it was, was, how much? I think it was 15 and we hit 18. Uh huh so bitter. Yeah. And did the money go straight into the business?
1: Yeah, it went straight into the business. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, uh, as Superior, you probably know, there's a lot of cash up front when you're trying to manufacture. So it was a great kind of replenishment. It wasn't a full replenishment, but a replenishment into our reserves so that we were able to stock up for the holiday season. Right.
0: When we come back, I want to talk about other forms of funding. We're about to take a break, but just very quickly, what is this algorithmic styling? I think I'm going to let my brother speak (laughs) to that.
2: Um, Yeah, I think, I think what you described earlier, it's essentially a way to algorithmically, like create um a salesperson to match accessories based on consumer trends and things like so it's
0: that. sort of like what amazon does if you like this book you would yeah, like, yeah. but
2: with a little bit more fashion involved right. in it right yeah
0: okay we're gonna take a break and come back and talk about dough <laughs> talking alternative radio 24 hours a day
4: Hi, I'm Austin Marola. And I'm Sloan Wainwright. We're the hosts of the new Thursday morning show, The Music Power Hour. At 11 a.m. We're going to have fun. And shine the light on all aspects of music. And its limitless healing possibilities. We're going to invite artists to share their songs and play live. We'll be listening and talking about great music from yesterday to today. So you're invited to share in our musical conversation. Your ears will be delighted with the sound of music. And their voices. Join Austin. And Sloan. Live Thursdays at 11 am on talkingalternative.com
5: I'm the aptly named host of Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio, Big Nonprofit Ideas for the Other 95%. Fundraising, board relations, social media, my guests and I cover everything that small and mid-sized shops struggle with. If you have big dreams and a small budget, you have a home at Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Fridays, one to two Eastern, at TalkingAlternative.com. com.
0: Hi, this is Joanna Croats at the Women's Playbook on TalkingAlternative.com. Join us every Thursday, twelve noon to one p.m. We're talking about the rising she economy and about women entrepreneurs and their growth, their triumphs, and the businesses they run, which is different than the way men run businesses. Every Thursday. 12 to 1 p.m. on TalkingAlternative.com. It will help you start, run, and grow your business.
5: Hey, all you crazy listeners. Looking
4: to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talking Alternative with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply email at info at talkingalternative.com. Talking
6: Alternative.
0: Welcome back to the Women's Playbook. We're talking with Supriya Hobbs, co-founder of Miss Possible, and Sunny and Tina Israni, founders of Zorab and Mint Socks, that's C-O-R-A-A-B, Miss Possible, as in the way it sounds. (laughs) (laughs) There's also a website, and Supriya and her co-founder, Jana Eves, are working on an Indiegogo campaign. I wanted to just uh, pivot the favorite expression for entrepreneurs uh, for a moment and talk about other forms of funding besides crowdfunding which gets all the air in the room but is a huge undertaking and isn't necessarily going to see you through to the end. So Tina Kit what, what can you tell us about the funding you're looking at now since the Kickstarter campaign was more of a um, sort of marketing,
1: know, yeah, a marketing marketing stunt.
0: <laughs> um, so we're actually so you know we've uh, we launched in
1: April 2012. 2013 was the sort of the first full year of the business and our growth rates are sort of through the roof. Um, we've proven that there's a market out there, there's a need, and uh, we just like to get there faster, um, which is why we you know, we were like, maybe we should actually go for a round of funding. Um, and we're raising about a million. Um, we have... Thorough financial analyses put into place of where this money is going to go my brother is actually a developer and cfa um so we were able to put together our financial backgrounds and and put our pitch deck together which has been fun do you have
0: employees at this point
1: uh we just have interns okay yes (laughs) um yeah and so we've you know we've talked to a few angel investors we're in touch with a few vcs and sort of maintaining you know great relationships with them um Ourselves, I think we've gone back and forth on funding to fund or not to fund. Um, And at this point, we've sort of left the door open. Um, It could accelerate growth, um, but it also is a full-time job to, you know, kind of close the round.
0: Well, plus you have to give away part of the business. Yeah. I mean, sell part of the business. Yeah, which which we've, you know, made
1: peace with. Uh Um, It's just also bringing on the right investors. That's so, so important. What
0: does the right investor mean?
1: They understand you. They understand your business model. They understand what they're, what you're trying to do. But mainly, they they end up investing in you. So they should really understand what you're about. It should be a cultural fit. Um, and I, I often don't talk about this, but it it, it can be difficult as a woman to raise. Um, and trying to find a, a cultural fit um, when you're trying to find the right investor.
0: So I've heard um, hair-raising stories of what happens yes. when women get in front of VC um, people who tend to be male, right? We have, like, I don't know, about 10% of, of women who are venture capitalists at this point. Maybe it's a little higher, 13%. And, uh, and I've heard all kinds of stories, you know, um, from some people. It's like they try and hit on them as bad as that. Others say, well, you know, what you're doing is creating a product that's for women, so let me just run this by my daughter or my niece or my wife. And maybe that's okay, because if you, if you are selling something that is is about scuba diving, you want to get a scuba, so you want that opinion, but it isn't necessarily the customer just because she's female. That isn't a demographic. Yeah. Are you facing some of that? Are you seeing some of that?
1: I think there's some element of how do I know the male consumer, um, but... Th- any any good business owner knows you know there's people creating products not, you don't create products for yourself you create it for your demographic there's also some element of being um, just a female and a founder and you know oh, you just you know you don't want to just get married and just you know settle down and have a family no still, I don't that's yeah, still, that, yeah. and there's other stories that I've you know it's funny we actually have a group I joined women 2.0 um, two years ago kind of in search of women founders because I didn't see that many so similar
0: National, actually global, right? Yeah, it's global. Networking group for women entrepreneurs.
1: Yeah. And so, um, you know, it's interesting that you talked, Supriya, that you talked about, you know, not seeing many women in sort of the chemical engineering field. I felt that way as, you know, uh, a founder Um, and kind of as i've sort of my relationships evolved with women 2.0 i've met other female founders and we've exchanged stories on funding and um we ended up founding uh, another uh, a group called women founders it's called wofo and literally we we kind of we sit down and talk about how we can help each other and you know you know this investors good to talk to and some of the stories you do hear are are a little nerve-wracking so
0: yeah it's hard Sapriya, are you finding that at all that the that the gender of being a woman is, uh, and also your, I imagine, youth, um, the combo might be a little challenging for funders and for people. Is that right?
3: You know, I haven't actually started reaching out for investment in the same way, so I haven't encountered that. But I've heard many of the same stories. Um, I suppose I've been focusing on, you know, researching investors who either are female or have a focus on women because our product is, is very much geared towards women right. and and girls. And are so, you f- uh, are
0: you finding a lot of help in that regard? I mean uh, there there are other stories about how women are not necessarily supportive and then you get ones that say they are. There seem to be a bunch of stories out there in that regard.
3: You know, I haven't reached out to female investors, but uh in No, terms I just meant mentors, other I just wonderful.
0: meant I meant other women business owners, really.
3: Oh, yeah, then people have been extremely helpful. Um, You know, I've gotten mentoring from a number of different people, and and I'm always amazed at how many people are willing to share their time. And I think in some ways the youth helps with that. Uh, You know, it it may be harder for us to establish credibility, but people are willing to help us, and I think that's a, a really positive outcome of just being young and doing this for the first time.
0: And what is going to be your um, first run, your manufacturer? How many dolls are you anticipating? If you make your nut on the, on Indiegogo and get your goal, how, how many dolls are you think you're going to produce, and then what happens?
3: So 5,000 will be our first run. Uh, likely not all 5,000 of those dolls will go towards the people who backed us on Indiegogo. And so then I guess we're anticipating reaching out to small retailers. So educational toy stores, there are a number of those around the country, and I think that's our best bet for getting into retail early.
0: Well, then the, the both of you really have to deal with the distribution issue, right? You're going to have to figure out um, on brick and mortar distribution, not even though it's there are e-commerce and mobile apps and and kind of like that. That that seems to me really complicated. It
1: it it is. Um, you know, we so we you know we have Zorabs. Zorabs doing great. There's a lot of things that we have to focus on for the holidays, um, and we started to address the mint distribution problem. To be honest, um, and it's a whole other strategy um, to try and if you have, I mean, in, Supriya, in your case, you you can sort of focus on just getting it through brick and mortar. Um, for us, it was our time was being divided, and you know, two big monumental efforts. So we've at this point sort of tabled. Um, the distribution of Mint, um, because in order to launch a brand, it honestly does take more money, and our capital at this point is best best used to sort of continue to focus on Zorab.
0: Well, what happens to the mobile app, Supriya? I mean, how, how are you going to keep that um, updated? Is it going to be a download? Does it come in a little gizmo or a flash drive? How does it work?
3: So our plan, and uh, you know, some of this has to be finalized and, and actually executed, but our plan is to have the app available for free download, but then just have some some very basic level preview content unless you've purchased a doll or opt to buy the enhanced content. So, for example, we can download this this possible app. And when I buy a doll with Marie Curie, it'll come with an access code. And so I can put that access code into the app and get her content for free. And we'd also like to offer it as, for purchase if you don't wish to buy a doll.
0: And will you update it? Will there be a subscription down the line?
3: Um, I don't know that it'll be a subscription. I, we do plan to update it. Right. We think this is an opportunity to keep people engaged for longer than just the time period that they're playing with dolls. So activities like this can can be adjusted for the age range with different, you know, different levels of uh, explanation. So that's right. something that we'd like to do.
0: Right. And so how how back to Tina how how are the how's min socks actually going to get delivered? Um, and as far as after Kickstarter. No, once you once you purchase it, what happens? How do you get it? We well, you're shipping.
1: Yeah, we're shipping. So we're, we're right now we are selling mint um, on Zorab, so it's, it's ironically it's actually our top three seller. So we did something with designing it, right? Um, and it's just shipped off uh, Zorab at
2: this point. I think um, what we're gonna do for Mint is primarily focus on the e-commerce distribution because, like, we have a platform and that's Zorab. So, And we have a lot of customers accessing it. So I think right now we're just focusing on pushing the product through our existing distribution channel that we actually have control over. And then maybe in the future, we'll start to approach brick and mortars that are outside of our business. But right now, it's doing really well in our own distribution channel. So I think that's our primary focus.
0: Yeah, so I keep thinking going forward, I mean, there could be a line of mint. That you end up out in the in the brick and mortar world with um, that goes to Saks or whatever, and then similarly with Miss Possible, there could be a line of the dolls that ends up in I don't kids Toys R Us and something like that. Is that <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're hoping, right? Yeah, that's the goal. <laughs> yeah, which is terrific. I mean, there is, as you know, Supriya, a lot of um, interest nowadays in what's going on in changing the role model for women. So. Did you find when you started on this that there was a lot of skepticism, or was it immediately something that people caught into uh
3: it, honestly, we've received primarily a large majority was positive feedback. People were really excited we started getting comments like, "Oh, I'm so sick of you know Barbie and all the pink stuff uh, you know this is this is what girls need and inevitably you'll get some drawback. Uh, we had a number of people question why we're making them in china and really it's a matter of you know we can't do it here uh, so that made the most sense from a financial standpoint and, and our goal is to reach as many people as possible and that means it has to be affordable
0: yeah i'm i'm not thinking american apparel is any kind of <laughs> model to put to put out there just because it's made in america you know i'm not i'm not going to go there It doesn't doesn't make sense but was it tough to find that um that manufacturer out in china how did you go about that
3: This is going to sound silly. A lot of people go through third-party people, you know, they're brokers that will go represent you. Uh, We don't have that kind of resource. So we searched on Alibaba for custom vinyl dolls and started reaching out to different manufacturers. And, of course, we're doing all our vetting and making sure that they have all the certifications. We'll go check it out and make sure, you know, in person that this is a place that we feel comfortable working with and uh, we feel comfortable selling products that are made there. But yeah, it was just a, an internet search and then working through the list.
0: Really enterprising, you know, and and and, <laughs> and also you've been stirring the pot in terms of media and getting some press for your campaign and 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 your brand. So, uh, you know, it seems to be doing going in the right direction. So, Tina, what's next for uh, Zorab? Where do you go? It's funny. Um, I think marketing has become
1: a big big focus for us. Um, the first the first year was sort of getting it right the second year was like okay we've got it right and now this year is more people know more people need to know about this um and sort of working on the algorithm that we discussed um um, and enhancing the the subscription process the subscription model has is doing really really well for us um the subscription sock model specifically but we think there's an opportunity to sort of have some kind of discovery component as more men are becoming more fashionable and wanting to express themselves beyond um a tie um and you see things like pocket squares and bow ties and all kinds of things wristwear wristwear we have wristwear but what's interesting is the wristwear isn't performing as well um the uh, the pocket squares, the pocket squares and socks are actually doing the best. And we often have from our Peter type user say, "Why don't you have boxers on there?" And we're like, you know, maybe we might experiment that with that actually.
0: And your customers tend to be young.
1: Um, honestly, no. <laughs> we we did a whole client segmentation, and they're sort of like twenty five to fifty five, the full range. We have retired. Retired men as well, mm-hmm. just this is their chance to go crazy on their socks
0: <laughs> Okay, we're going to take our last break and when we come back, I'd like to talk a little bit about um, both of your technological backgrounds and how that's feeding the way that you're approaching your business and your model because I, I, I find that the the real innovation in terms of how women entrepreneurs are growing their their um, firms. so we'll take a break. we'll be right back.
4: You're listening to The Talking Alternative Network.
6: Have you ever considered consulting a roadmap when you feel you need help getting to your destination? When the normal path seems blocked, a little help can come in handy when choosing an alternate route. Your natal chart is a map of your potentials. It addresses relationships, finance, business, health, and above all, creativity. Current planetary cycles can either support or challenge your objectives. I'm Montgomery Taylor. If you would like to explore the help of a private astrological reading, please contact me at Monty at MontyTaylor.com. That's Monty, M-O-N-T-Y
5: at MontyTaylor.com. Are you suffering from aches and pains? Has traditional medicine let you down? Are you tired of taking toxic medications? Then come to the Double Diamond Wellness Center and learn how our natural methods can help you to heal. Call us now at 212-721-8183. That's 212-721-8183. Or find us on the web at www.doublediamondwellness.com. We look forward to serving you.
0: Talking Alternative Radio. 24 hours a day. Welcome back. We're talking to co-founders Sunny and Tina Israni about their um, e-commerce play, Zorab.com, and also Supriya Hobbs in Illinois about Miss Possible, which is a doll and a mobile app for uh, role models for girls who have real-world scientists, and um, the dolls are coming. So I'm wondering, Supriya, um, what happened to the chemical engineering? (laughs) How did you end up? Why aren't you working for DuPont? (laughs) Um, you know, I thought about it,
3: but, uh, you know, I've actually accepted a a full-time role as an engineer and I'm trying to do both. Um, you know, chemical engineering, I I don't think we would have come up with this idea if it weren't for my background as a chemical engineer and my co-founder's background.
0: Tell us about that. What, what, what was it about the education in, in the field of engineering that led you to launch the company? Well, you know,
3: engineering is so fundamentally based in problem solving. So, you know, I'm not creating chemical reactions through this Possible, but it was still this mentality of I'm observing this problem, let's do something about it. And I think that was extremely important. And then, you know, they always say studying engineering teaches you how to think. So not just want to solve this problem, but also sort of take it apart and, and look at the data and figure out, you know, how do we actually fix this? What are the different pieces of the problem? So I, I'm glad I studied chemical engineering. I think it was a really worthwhile thing for me to do.
0: And what kind of work will you be doing while you're, uh, while the, the, the um, Miss Possible is going forward? Is it at all allied, or how does that work?
3: Um, was Miss Possible? I likely won't directly apply my chemical engineering degree. <laughs> um, <laughs> not directly. I think indirectly I will. So manufacturing, for one. I've done a, a couple of internships in manufacturing arenas, and I've got some understanding of quality control and what it takes to make things well, um, you know, Six Sigma, that that sort of thing. Yeah. So I think that helps me understand more and, and know to ask the right questions of the manufacturer.
0: And, um, and, and your co-founder and then, comes out of materials science, right? Correct. So that's just complementary in, in many ways. Right, yeah.
3: focus on data, I think, will help us moving forward.
0: Do you think that uh, educational background has uh, bolstered your confidence in starting a business? Do you think you would have had the same sense of mastery uh, or (laughs) mistressy that that you have if you had not had that education?
3: Um, I don't know that it changed my confidence level necessarily, but I do think it gives us more – I guess it makes us more reputable – I think studying engineering is something that a lot of people respect. And you were mentioning earlier, you know, does it become an issue? Does it take away from your credibility that you're young and that you're women? I think having engineering degrees gives us some additional credibility because people recognize that as a significant achievement.
0: Yeah, I would say if people look down the resume, it's not like you were studying, uh, oh, my God, art history. <laughs> so <laughs> doesn't have the same chops, but... So, Tina, is this something that you f- you also experienced that having been through the technology? Tell us a bit about how you studied. Well, so,
1: we I actually started out in financial services. I uh, majored in finance, and um, I learned a lot during those five years in finance, going through 2008 and 2009, and all of, like, what is corporate structure, corporate strategy, um, business development, and... And I knew that I wanted to get into tech. So I sort of started, I actually did graphic design at FIT and then um, took on UX design at General Assembly, kind of a two-month full-on course. Um, and it, that kind of evolved out of launching Zorab. I realized that, you know, I really enjoyed doing design work and it worked out well because my uh, my brother at the time when we were working on the business, um, Sunny also has finance background, um... He ended up going to Dev Bootcamp and doing, um, an, you know, a ten-week full-time course in development. So that was us sort of developing complementary skill sets. Me with design and sort of business strategy, macro kind of strategy, and and him with you know financial skills. Um, as a, as a chartered financial analyst, he sort of keeps track so, keeps track of our books and uh, and does the development. So we're able to build things together, which is really exciting for us because that's sort of what was missing from being in financial services.
0: And do you recommend doing? It's a very broad set of skills that you have bringing to the party. You think they're all necessary? You have to do that. It depends.
1: You know, for us, I think we what we're coming to realize is that we love building things. We love building businesses. Um, You know, we in year two, we launched Mint. We're already thinking about, you know, next year um, as we sort of, you know, build Zorab, um, we could easily build an app together, something that, you know, we might be passionate about that is close to our hearts. Um, For me, I I know I want to move into some kind of um, social good and it's very easy for us to sort of build something quickly and sort of vet it. And now having gone through the process of launching Zorab and not to mention our other, you know, failed business ideas that we kind of went through early on um, we sort of know the recipe of how to create something, create something successful.
2: I think um, if you want to think about like what are the necessary skill sets to kind of start a business, I honestly think it's just finding what you love to do and getting really, really good at it. Because the other things that you may not be that good at and that you may not love, in the future you can potentially outsource that. So we, you know, I loved programming, she loved UX design, we got good at it. So now we have those skill sets down. Other aspects we may not be that good at and we may not like doing. We can potentially hire for those things.
0: Right. As you go forward. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, I'm, I'm interested that you say you had the, you know, you, out of the side of your mouth, those failures we had before <laughs> we really, so, you know, those are the things that are the the missteps that are the most um, compelling and probably most instructive. So both for you and Supri, I'd like to hear some of the things that, that you learned because you went down the wrong path. So. I, th- for
1: me, um, finding the right partner was so, so important. I always, you, you know, uh, my brother had mentioned about, um, us being a family business. My dad has always been an entrepreneur and he was sort of, uh, my inspiration. And I always knew I wanted to start a business. I never quite believed, believed in myself, um, that I would be able to do it. So I sort of motivated others. And then when I started to believe in myself, um, I had the wrong partners and I felt like I was motivating them and I'm like you know if I took this time of you know the time that I'm spending motivating this person to work with me I could be spending on actually creating some something so clearly I don't have the right partner and then when I had a partner the concept of the business was so just not um, inspiring to me um, my partner wanted to she wanted to work on a wedding planning business and I just really didn't want to do that um, I just it was so not what i wanted to do and then I, eventually we sort of you know we split apart and my brother went through similar experiences as well um he worked on a denim company with the wrong
0: partner um there was something else yeah like, and
2: a t-shirt line
0: <laughs> oh the perennial t-shirt <laughs> priya are there any quickly because we we're running out of time right now but but were there any missteps that you think would be instructive for um other people who are launching to hear
3: I definitely agree with Tina's sentiment about getting something that you feel really passionately about. Um, You know, for us, we never launched other businesses, but we went through, I don't know, probably five other ideas before we found something that was worth pursuing.
0: Well, I I just want to say thanks so much to both of you, all three of you, to Tina and Sunny Israni, and that's Zorab.com and (laughs) MintSocks.com. Um, also, at Tina Esrani on a Tumblr page and Twitter. I'm sorry, Tina dot Tumblr for Tumblr <laughs> and add Tina, the, all of that, um, I-S-R-A-N-I. Thanks to Supriya Hobbs, co-founder of Startup Miss Possible. You'll find her on Facebook. Don't forget the Indiegogo crowdfunding campaign, um, Dolls to Inspire Girls Across Generations. Um, as of next week, I'm taking a bit of a break because the show has led to the opportunity for me to write the Women's Playbook book which is going to be all about how women's entrepreneurship can help women gain independence and more opportunity, the same as, as the show is about. And I'll be writing it over the next few months, so I have to put the show on hold for a while until I get that completed and turn it into my publisher. Stay tuned for that. Meantime, of course, there's, uh, there's the shows that you can download on TalkingAlternative.com. There's iTunes uh, for, for the Women's Playbook, and there's the, my website, womensplaybook.com. I will be posting... Um, probably delicious tidbits <laughs> as I go forward about women's entrepreneurship <laughs> on my Twitter feed at Joanna L. Croats and on my Facebook page, uh, The Women's Playbook. So, also sign up for the newsletter on my website and I'll keep you posted for all these things. Um, when it comes to launching and running a business, we've covered a lot of ground in the last um, shows that we've been on, and it, and it might behoove you to just Dive in and see what you've missed if you want to take a look at the shows that we've already done. And um, a lot, actually, about technology. So that specifically, I think, for women is um, is a a very fertile ground for nurturing your business and learning how to run it. I look forward to reconnecting with you when I return, and um, I'm going to miss you. Bye-bye.
4: You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network
5: are you stuck in your business or career trying to take your business to the next level and it keeps hitting a wall this is sam lebowitz the conscious consultant i will help you get to the root cause of your abundance issues and help move you forward in your life Call me now and let's create the future you dream of 212-721-8183, that's 212-721-8183. The Conscious Consultant, helping conscious people be better business people.
4: Hi, I'm Austin Marola. And I'm Sloan Wainwright. We're the hosts of the new Thursday morning show, The Music Power Hour. At 11 a.m. We're going to have fun. And shine the light on all aspects of music. And its limitless healing possibilities. We're going to invite artists to share their songs and play live. We'll be listening and talking about great music from yesterday to today. So you're invited to share in our musical conversation. Your ears will be delighted with the sound of music. And our voices. Join Austin and Sloan live Thursdays at 11 a.m. on TalkingAlternative.com. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.TalkingAlternative.com. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative.
6: Have you ever considered consulting a roadmap when you feel you need help getting to your destination? When the normal path seems blocked, a little help can come in handy when choosing an alternate route. Your natal chart is a map of your potentials. It addresses relationships, finance, business, health, and above all, creativity. Current planetary cycles can either support or challenge your objectives. I'm Montgomery Taylor. If you would like to explore the help of a private astrological reading, please contact me at Monty at MontyTaylor.com. That's Monty, M-O-N-T-Y at MontyTaylor.com.
5: Are you suffering from aches and pains? Has traditional medicine let you down? Are you tired of taking toxic medications? Then come to the Double Diamond Wellness Center and learn how our natural methods can help you to heal. Call us now at 212-721-8183. That's two one two seven two one eight one eight three. Or find us on the web at www.doublediamondwellness.com. We look forward to serving you.
4: TalkingAlternative.com.